Good morning, everyone. Um, well, we're carrying on in 1 Samuel, and Andrew yesterday took us through the story of how Samuel anointed Saul to become Israel's first king with great hopes for the future. But between yesterday's passage and today's passage, things have gone drastically wrong. Saul in chapter 13 doesn't wait for Samuel to make a sacrifice and takes matters into his own hands. And then in chapter 15, he doesn't fully carry out God's commands and he keeps some loot and plunder rather than destroying it as God had commanded with the supposed excuse that the men were going to use it to sacrifice to God, which gives us that famous line that to obey is better than sacrifice. And so judgment from God on Saul is that he is rejected as king because he has rejected God's word. And so the, the end of chapter 15 ends with this kind of somber thought that until this day Samuel died, he didn't go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. That's verse 35 of chapter 15. And this morning we're going to go all the way through from chapter 16 to halfway through chapter 18. So there's quite a lot there. There's the anointing of David as, as the replacement for Saul, kind of as a king in waiting. And then David at some point is taken into Saul's service to play his harp because he's a skillful musician. And that way he eases Saul's torment from an evil spirit. Chapter 17 is all about David's battle with Goliath. And then chapter 18 picks up the story again of David serving Saul, this time not as a musician, but as a soldier. And how that leads to Saul's increasing jealousy of David. So there's an awful lot there. And obviously we, we can't unpack everything in detail. So I'm just going to pick out a few things I hope ties it all together and that challenges us this morning. So let's uh, begin with, with prayer and then we'll jump into a few verses. Father, we, we thank you for your word that refreshes us each morning and challenges us. Lord, it's certainly a challenge being reading through these stories and sometimes we know them so well that we don't think much about them, but I pray that you would speak to us through them, encourage our hearts, but also challenge us to to learn from them i pray in jesus name amen so chapter 16 begins with sort with god if you like giving samuel something of a rebuke and the first thing i want to draw out from these long passages is that i think it's key that we see samuel beginning to follow god's lead god has something new on his mind Back in chapter 13, even, he tells Saul, Samuel tells Saul, God is going to find a man after his own heart, verse 14, to become the new king of Israel. And yet Samuel is kind of stuck in this mode of grieving for Saul, and he can't move forward. He's too busy mourning over Saul to be thinking about what God wants to do next or to be thinking about who this new man might be. And so we read in verse 1 that the Lord says, how long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him? And then he kind of gives him his marching orders, says, get me a can of oil and you're going to go and anoint someone, a son of Jesse in Bethlehem. And so Samuel begins to follow God's lead again. But we can see as the story unfolds, he's still not really in tune with what God wants to do. As you look through verses six and seven of chapter 16, Samuel is still kind of caught up with this idea of what a king should look like. And as, they, as Jesse brings his sons to him, he looks at them and thinks, well, surely this one's the one. And he gets caught up in the idea of the appearance of David's son, of who David's son, which, David, which of David's sons should be king. And if you remember, that hadn't worked very well with Saul. 
way back at the beginning when Saul was first chosen, if you remember, he was described as head and shoulders above everybody else and somebody who really looked like the king. And now God seems to be doing something different. And it's, it's kind of funny because he could have just told Samuel who was going to be the next king, but he just tells him, no, it's a son of Jesse. And then he takes him through this kind of lesson of understanding how God works. So as the first son, a layup comes up, Samuel thinks, well, surely he's the one. He even has a promising name. His name means God is father. Maybe Samuel's thinking, well, this, this guy's got a really good biblical name. He must be the one. Uh, but we get that famous line in verse 7 where the Lord says to Samuel, don't consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so we know how the story goes. All seven sons are brought and none of them are chosen. And Samuel, by now, has kind of got up with the program. He's understood God's purpose, and he refuses to sit down and eat, refuses to do anything until this final son is brought to them. And, of course, it's David, the least likely one, the most insignificant one who's just out looking after the sheep. But he meets the most important criteria. His heart was right before God. When you look at Saul, you, you do see a gifted leader, someone who could rally the troops. You look at David's brothers, they're obvious candidates, but not for God's purpose because God looks on the heart. So Samuel began to be led again by God, following God's lead. And I think we can learn from that as Christians, as believers, and as a church. We need to be open to the way God may be leading. We tend to get stuck in our ruts very often and always expect God to do things the same way. Maybe we hold on to old patterns, just like Samuel was still grieving for Saul and couldn't see what God wanted to do at this point in time. But then when we do begin to follow God's lead, we need to keep God's, what God's priorities as our priorities. He looks at the heart, and so should we. And I think, sadly, today's church, well, maybe it's always been this way, follows the same pattern that the world's culture does and that even Samuel was guilty of at the beginning. We look at the outward things and make our choices based on that. We look at the gifted people, the great teachers, the great pastors, the great worship leaders, and say, wow, that's who we want. And we put gifting ahead of the character, ahead of the heart. And sadly, Christian leaders all over the world still crash and burn today because we as the church look to their gifts rather than their heart. And perhaps because they themselves begin to rely on their gifts and forget to cultivate their own relationship with God. And of course, it's not wrong to be gifted and we, it's great when we have those people, but we need to remember to keep God's priorities, looking at the heart the whole time. And that applies to us as individuals first and foremost, but also how we do things as a church. God sought someone after his own heart, 1 Samuel 13, 14. Saul failed because his heart was not right, not because he wasn't a good leader. So let's follow God's lead, discern his will, and keep his priorities. Then a second area I see that's a huge challenge is as we go through the story, we see a big contrast set up for us between David and Saul. Just look at verse 13 of chapter 16 says this about David, from that day on, this is after the, he's anointed with oil by Samuel, from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. 
Then you read the very next verse, verse 14. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. What a contrast. And you see that contrast being played out over the next few chapters. I won't go through it in detail, but just briefly, Saul was tormented. David brought comfort. Saul failed to face Goliath. David was unafraid to take him on. Saul was jealous and envious. David was diligently serving both his king and his God. Saul tried to harm David. David always respected Saul and refused to harm him, and that will be the focus of tomorrow's reading. David had a deep, loving friendship with Jonathan. Saul was increasingly isolated and suspicious of others. <clears throat> and because David was full of the Spirit from that time on, he becomes an example for us. Because we, we know from Ephesians 5.18, we're to be filled with the Spirit. And of course, there could be much more that we pull out from that. And we know from things like Galatians 5.22, that the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and all those qualities that should be evident in our lives as a result of being full of the Spirit. But it's interesting in that Galatians 5 passage, I think it gives us a nice little summary of what we've seen so far. Verses 25 and 26 say this, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Samuel was just about keeping in step with the Spirit, getting on board with God's plan. David began to live by the Spirit from that moment onwards. But sadly, Saul did the opposite. He was the one who was conceited, provoking others and envying. And the final part of this section, just in, as you jump forward all the way to chapter 18 and verses 12 and 14, it kind of wraps it up again and says, the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. In everything David did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. And then he goes on to say, all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. God was no longer with Saul. It's such a sad picture. It reminds me of what Phil was sharing last week about Samson. He didn't realize God had departed from him. Perhaps Saul did realize it, but it's still such a sad picture that God is no longer with him, but he's holding on to his position and his power, just being tormented by this evil spirit and going down the, going down the hill, if you like. And you can see the difference between David and Saul, one filled with the spirit, one from whom the spirit is gone. Saul is that example, if you like, of someone who has the position, but no personal relationship with God. So I think it's a real challenge for us as church, as individuals, to be filled with the spirit, to make sure that we're cultivating our relationship with God, our heart with him, so that we're following his lead. Then finally, I think this is probably one of the things I, I love about this story is you see David's passion and his zeal for God's honor. And that comes out mainly through chapter 17 with that famous battle against Goliath. And I'm sure most of us will be pretty familiar with all the details. But if you haven't had time to read it, do go ahead and read it. It's a great story. But just to pick out a few things, Goliath issues this challenge day after day, chapter 17, verses 8 to 11. So the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. Verse 10. And of course he's saying, you come out, send someone, we'll have a one-to-one -one, and whoever wins gets the, the, the rest of the people have to submit to the winner. And essentially what's going on is this is a challenge to Israel's honor. It's a challenge to Saul's honor. 
It's a challenge ultimately to God's honor because he's the God of Israel. And this goes on for 40 days with no response except fear, avoidance, hiding in the tents, wondering what to do. Until that is, this young shepherd shows up who has been sent on an errand taking food to his brothers who are on the front line. And as David hears this giant shouting out his challenge, what moves him most is that he can't bear the thought of this giant defying Israel and defying God. He, he asks, verse 26, who's going to remove this disgrace? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies, not of Israel, but of the living God? David understood what was going on here. And he's so worked up by it that as you read through the story, he, various people try to stop him. His older brother gives him a hard time. Oh, you're just you know, talking, being a big shot again. But he's undeterred by that. He keeps saying, no, I want to fight this guy. And then when Saul kind of hears about it and brings him before him and just looks at him and says, well, you've got no chance. You're just a shepherd boy. He's a warrior. Verse 33. He, he still keeps going. He says, no, I know God will help me. I've done this before, not against a giant, but against a lion and a bear. And God helped me. He had that faith that's been tested and he trusted God. This was a bigger challenge. So his dependence on God was greater. He refused to go in Saul's armor, but just trusted that God would be with him as he had been as a shepherd. And look at verse 45 to 46. This is really the key. David says to the Philistine, this is where he's run out to meet him. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. He wasn't worried about his own fame or even the reward. He had a burning concern for God's name. And in verse 47, we read that he says that when I beat you, just tells him like it is, I'm going to chop your head off. The whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. And that was David's heart and his drive. He wanted the world to know there's a God in Israel. He wanted Israel to know that God saves, their God saves. And I think that's a fantastic picture for us as followers of Jesus as the church, to be zealous for God's honor and glory, to want the whole world to know that there is a God. And for the church to know that God saves. And that should affect how we live. should affect what we say to our friends, to our families, to our neighbors. It should affect how we pray. If that's really on our heart, that's really, on our, that's really what we're zealous for. There are many Goliaths in today's culture. Many challenges to the church and to the honor of God's name. So I think there's a challenge for us there to be like David. To be concerned, not with our own comfort so much but with God's honor and to come to know as, as we face those challenges more deeply, his saving power. So those three challenges, I think, definitely come through from this passage this morning, that we should follow God's lead, discerning his will, keeping his priorities. We should be full of God's spirit, keeping in step with him. And we need to be zealous for God's honor so that the world might know the church might trust.